Welcome to another episode of It's a Long Road, the Ramble Series podcast. I am your host, Ryan. With me today, we have a special guest host who goes by the name of Matthew Chernoff. Did I get that last name right? You nailed it. Definitely. Thank you. Chernoff. Chernoff. Now, that's a (laughs) Russian-Ukrainian or... It is Russian name, yeah. Originally from Minsk, my grandfather. So, uh, yeah. I root for the bad guys in these movies. <laughs> you, t- you took it away. You took it away my questions. Like, yeah, how do you feel about Rambo 3? Yeah, that's right. No, uh, so, yeah, this is very exciting to have you on. I reached out to you because, quite frankly, you follow the show on Twitter. And what I was doing was, is I was going through the followers on the Twitter of the show. And I figured, well, if people are following the show on Twitter, I suspect or hope they're at least Rambo fans, Sly fans. I was looking for podcast creators. So that's why your name jumped out at me because I saw, oh, this guy does his own stuff. And I find the people who come on the show who already create or comfortable on the mic, they're kind of good guests to have. It's been the case so far. And I've had some other guests that are good guests. I will admit they have great information, but they're not podcasters. And sometimes they're it's harder for them to be on the mic because that's not their thing. That's all I'm saying. So um, I reached out to you and said, hey, you want a guest on the show? And you were more than gracious. So I appreciate you. And the Behind the scenes, we spent 15 minutes, get my software going, and it works. Knock on wood. So thank you, Matthew, for uh, being patient with that. Um, I understand. These things happen, definitely. So let's talk about the stuff you do do. Uh, I find it very interesting. I'm very curious about your variety work. I think that sticks out to me right away. You're the first person I've talked to who writes for Variety, obviously a very big publication. Are they primarily an online thing? Is that what they are now? Years ago, it was Daily Variety. They okay. put out a magazine every single day. That's a huge undertaking. Really? Um, yeah. That, that wait, was wait, they have a magazine every day? Daily Variety. When you hear that phrase, Daily Variety, it meant that they put out an issue every day. It wasn't like a full glossy magazine, but it was like multi-page magazine that would go out daily. It was, um, it was the way that the industry got information out there. They would break news daily on a magazine. This is all pre-internet. And then at, right, right now, they do a weekly variety, which is a much b- a glossier magazine. It looks like a beautiful magazine that they put out. It's bound. It's It's got beautiful photography in it. But the main gist of variety these days is online, like you were saying. That, and I mostly write for uh, freelance for them for the online portion of the magazine. So I've, I do um, lists, film lists, rankings, uh, anniversary articles, some interviews, that kind of thing, usually around film and TV. Yeah, I, I saw your articles. And the question I had regarding some of the ones I saw, especially the list ones, do you come up with the ranking? Is this your own personal list? Or do you consult with the, the in theory, because you're freelance, like you said, could you just come up with your own list? It's ridiculous. And they, would, would they nix it? Or does it have to kind of make sense? How, how does the list work? I'm curious about that. They mostly leave them up to me. But like if it's a, um, for instance, we did a, a Schwarzenegger ranking years right. ago. I think they've updated that since then. But they had asked me to do the 10 best and the five worst or something like that. Sure. So then it was completely up to me. It was just like, what do you got? Because I think they want some of that personality behind it. That way, if I come up with something crazy, if I put a ridiculous movie up front, it generates um, comments online. People start arguing with the list and they start engaging with it. So they almost want that. They, we, don't, we never try to do that in order to generate false 
anger from readers. That's I know people think that like they're just doing this to get clicks. Right. We're not just doing that to get clicks. It just happens to be the person who wrote the list's personal take on something. It is up to me. Sure. Okay. That's fair. Thank you for that. And there are lists I do read sometimes like, what was this guy smoking? But you're right. It will elicit conversation. But there's certain films or franchises where there's a general consensus regarding certain rankings, you know, with the Rocky films, of course, and the Rambo films. Like if I were to say, let's say with the Rocky films, it goes without saying most on a bell curve, people will say that the first film is the best film, maybe with Rocky Four nipping at the heels. And then, of course, everyone says Rocky Five is the worst film. That, that's on a bell curve. Right. You'll get that. But every now and then you might get a list guy who's like, you know what? I really appreciate what Rocky Five was, XYZ, and they can make it number two or three. And then that's the conversation that would elicit. We had a, a really experienced film critic uh, about two weeks ago when Creed Three opened, mm. uh, a film critic, Joe Layden, who's been writing for different publications and for Variety for decades. He's a, an ex- expert in his field. And he did a revised Rocky ranking because of Creed Three, And, of course, I think he had five at the bottom. Yeah, uh, sure. and Hot take. And it, yeah. So, and but I disagreed with some of his takes. I thought uh, three should have been higher. I I love Rocky three and four. I think should have been a little bit higher. But do you, do you he recall could have, what he uh, had first? Or well, of course, the original first Rocky is that, and I think the second one was Creed, the first Creed, which I've I thought that. was a little high. I think that was a little high. I'm a, I'm a old school Rocky. The Creeds I appreciate, but um. I don't really put them in the same class as the Rockies, so... That's fair. You know. Oh, that's fair. Uh, but, but, but one of the things I want to ask lis- your listeners to do, when they engage with a, a ranking, like you were saying, people always take issue with order. What's number one, what's number two? What they never seem to do is mention what's being said in the little caption about that. So a lot of times I'll do a ranking of like the Friday the 13th movies or something like that, or the Halloween films, and I'll put all this work into writing why that's there, why this one hit number five. And people just, all they want to argue about is the number. And a lot of times the answer for what they're asking, like, why would you put this here is in the writing. So are you it's accusing like people of just read. reading the headline? Are you accusing people exactly. just reading the headline of a news piece on Twitter and giving their opinions? That's terrible. How dare you? People are much brighter than that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I'm I sure know. They are. I, I hear you. I see. We see it all the time, and I, I love that. I've seen that some memes or something where it basically says, I'm here to argue about the headline idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. 100%. It's, it is frustrating. Well, and I can understand that you being a creator and creating this content and writing, taking the time and energy to write an opinion on something, you, yeah, it's frustrating when people answer their own questions. Why would you put that there? Well, if you read the why, you wouldn't have to ask. You can then disagree with the why, but you wouldn't have to ask why. For totally. sure. And, and a lot of times they'll see that they think that because something is ranked low, it means you must hate that. But a lot of times the things that I've written there are saying how great that is, how yes. great that film is. It just happens to be not quite as one of my favorites in the in that particular franchise that I'm writing about. And a lot of people say that about Ramble 3. I think Ramble 3 on the bell curve. This one might be true. I think the Ramble ones are trickier to rank. I know a lot of people didn't like Last Blood, but even some people did. But the idea being there's a couple, like 3 and 5 might be in the discussions, with again, on a bell curve for the bottom film in the franchise. But here's the thing, and this goes for Rocky Five as well. And I actually engaged a Twitter person yesterday about this. And we both agreed that... A bad Rocky film, i.e. Rocky V, is still better 
the 95 to 99% of the direct they released today. It's absolute garbage 100%. films. No heart, no soul, no storyline, CGI mess. And it's like, oh, it's just so empty calories. You know, the, these big bloated projects are just empty calories. And so a Rocky V film has more heart, dialogue, soul, backstory, family drama than a Marvel film. Let's be honest. I'm sorry. Like, it's just, that's my I'm opinion. with you. Okay. I share that opinion. So you basically were ranking a Rambo film or a Rocky film to its own kind. Yes, but that doesn't make it a horrible film. So that's my opinion too. Yeah. So one of the tricky thing, oh, one of the tricky please. things with ranking them is I like to, I like to bring a, some of the personality in there. So sometimes I I know like I love, Ambro three. I would put it. I know people wouldn't agree with this. I would put it number two oh. on my ranking. Wow. So, and some of that because comes from the moment that I saw it in the theater. That whole summer that it came out was a really fantastic summer. There was a lot of stuff happening. So I associate those good times with Rambo 3, in addition to loving the movie. I know sometimes with ranking, you don't want to bring that in, or people think you shouldn't bring in your own personal, like, yeah, but I do. I can't help it. I'm leaning into that. When I write my rankings, they include that. It's not just that. It's not just about my, you know, what was happening in my life at that time, but I do take it into consideration along with a lot of other things factors so um yeah i think it's very human of you i think that's very (laughs) that's very human of you i mean i think if you were to to not say that i would actually question like i'm a robot i will give an opinion and here's the thing about any ranking or any films and i've I've said this before you take the first blood or rocky the first film often again the bell curve ranked first in the franchise you know it's what started it all you show 100 people we're still gonna get 100 different reactions or love or not love of, of a film so there's no way you take away the human factor i think every critic uh has their own baggage whether it's positive or negative they'll have their baggage about an actor a director the genre speaking of the ramble films too regarding genre i got this i stole this from the adam Kroll show so this is not my own thinking here but the idea that you should Rank films within, or yeah, when you give a Rotten Tomato score, for example, you should put it within what the film is meant to be, if that makes sense. So if I'm making pizza, right, and it's a pizza at a restaurant, well, you kind of know, okay, I should get, you know, let's say it's a family-friendly type, you know, mid-level type family type restaurant. When you order the pizza or the burger, you kind of know what you're getting. Like, you don't compare it to a five-star Michelin experience. And I think a lot of film critics do this. I don't know why that is. I don't know why they don't compare... They just give it a rotten score out of, hey, this is an action film meant to entertain. It, it was never going to be an Oscar contender. This is not what this film is. Do Our film critics doing this now, are they understanding that as a point? Like, this is an action film, so did you have fun? Yes or no. I don't know why it's so difficult, but why do they compare films to, like, The Whale? Like, you're not going to compare Ramble 3 to The Whale. It's a totally different experience when you're going to the theater. Am I wrong about that, or...? No, I, th- I think you're right. I wish more of them would do that. It's frustrating as a reader, but but I mean, they've always done that. I've been watching a lot of old Siskel and Ebert episodes lately yeah, just yeah. to, um, you know, it's sort of a comfort watch I when to, I'm at the I gym or something. Them. I used to record them. As a teenager, and as, I recorded their stuff to watch it. They did that constantly, where they would talk about the film as though it was in comparison with all the great masterworks out there. And you just wanted to, like, yell through the screen and say... You're talking about a fun sci-fi movie. It's not supposed to be up there with an Oscar-worthy film. It's it's a different type of experience. So maybe look at it from that perspective. The fact that people or critics are still doing that today, it is it is frustrating. It I think is odd. more that, of them. That's why I love now they have the critic Metacritic score and then the audience score. And I like that. I like yeah. how they're saying, "Hey, audiences had fun." 
So do you want to go with the audience as a general had fun or the critics are like, oh, this is hokey, silly, cheesy, whatever. But what's nice to see is when you get the meta score is high and the audience score is high, like, ooh, we really got something here because the critics and the audiences are aligning. But I think most audience members are pretty savvy. I know even when I was younger, when I was when I was big on reading what critics had to say, like Siskel and Eber and stuff, I used to really, I want to say take it to heart, but I was really like a big movie buff where I would like, well, oh, what do they have to say about this film? And I'd be hopeful that they would enjoy it if it was an actor I enjoyed or something. But I was even at a young age recognized, okay, well, it's total recall. Like, I maybe they're not going to, you know, but I'm going to go there and have fun, you know. Definitely. So that's the variety, which is really cool. I think it's so cool. And I saw your articles and I thought that was really cool that you do that. And now you also have a podcast. And one of your podcasts uh, deals, well, you have two that you did or and, and or do. I know you have a James Bond podcast, which we have one of those on our network, by the way. And uh, a Western podcast, which is close to my heart, the Western films. I'm a huge Western buff. I love Western films. In fact, I've I've already said it on the show here. I don't know which episode, but I've mentioned that my next project after the Ramble franchise will be a Western podcast. And there are not very many of them. When I saw yours, I was like, oh, darn it. He's beating me to it. However, you do a little bit you do a little bit differently than I was going to do mine. There's lots of podcasts. There's lots of uh, Westerns. So there's a lot of room for podcasters doing Westerns. But you do a little bit different. You actually have got people that have worked on the films and directors and costume designers. And you haven't done as many film reviews, per se, so much as behind-the-scenes stuff. But what is your love of Westerns? Why did you start a Western podcast? Well, I've always loved Westerns. The Seeing the Wild Bunch as a kid, the original uh, Sam Peckinpah Wild Bunch, was uh, one of the foundational moments in my love of movies. I saw it at a, at an age I was probably too young to see, and it really just uh, ruined me when I saw it. It was a, it hit, a, hit like a bomb. It's such a, a powerful film. So I've always loved Western since then. I was a huge John Wayne fan. I know he's kind of fallen out of favor for a, a lot of people over the years, but um, I think... He's. I still think he. I. I just can't take my eyes off him when he's on the screen. He's such an icon. But I wasn't planning on doing a Western podcast until I met this film professor and lecturer, Andrew Patrick Nelson, who I do the show with. He was at a museum that I was at. A, he was hosting a screening and doing a, a sort of an in, introducing the movie. They asked him to pick a movie. He's one of the the country's foremost authorities on westerns. And something about him, his personality and the way he spoke to the audience and the, the amount of fun he had while also being a genius, I, I was really impressed. So I asked him if he was ever interested in doing a podcast. He seemed like he was made for it. So the two of us combined on that idea uh, right before the pandemic started. It was everything I wanted it to be. I have one of the smartest guys I know as my co-host. So he he's the brains of the operation, and I'm the sort of heart of the operation sure. who comes at these films more of as a fan's perspective. He's comes at it from a, you know a historian's perspective, and I think that combo works pretty well. It it has anyway, and it's just a fun show to put out there. Good, and you just released a new one in March. Uh, you want to speak to the what that one's about so people can get a gist of what you talk about and check out your show. Yeah, we and, did. And tell the name of your show. I don't think we've done that yet. Sure. Uh, the show is called How the West Was Cast. Not at random. We don't pick topics or films. It's usually something that's sparked it in us. And so Andrew recently started editing a new book series that's coming out this in this month, actually. And it's all about the Westerns. Each book is about a different Western. So in March, we ran shows on two of them. One of them is a, a 1940s Western with Robert Mitchum called Blood on the Moon, sort of a film noir Western, almost like a detective story Western. Mm. And then we also put out another one called uh, Ride Lonesome, which is a beloved 
Western from the 50s. These aren't just new Westerns we're talking about. Obviously, sure. these are classics. But before that, the show that we did before that might be more uh, a better jumping on point for new listeners. It was a tribute episode that we did to the greatest Western movie hats of yes. all time. <laughs> And That's that great. was fun, where you go, where we covered like almost twenty of our favorite Western movie hats, and we had a an actual hat maker on the show who makes authentic Western hats, cowboy hats, and he told us about the history of the cowboy hat, how he makes them, what his favorite cowboy hat movies are. That's a really fun episode. I would recommend the hat episode to start with. Great stuff! If you're a Western fan, check out his podcast. Okay, well, what is your overall fandom then of? Sly and or the Ramble films. Well, did you did you see them in order when they first came out, or how did yeah. that work for you? Yeah, I saw them in order. I remember junior high school uh, when First Blood came out. It's another one of those movies. It landed the perfect time, and it blew every guy I knew away. All of my junior high school friends were talking about First Blood. It was almost like seeing that movie was like a rite of passage. There, everyone was saying like. Did you see it yet? What was your favorite scene? Do you believe when this happened? It was such a big moment for That's us great. kids at that age. One of our friend's brothers took us to see it. He was slightly older, so he got us into the theater. And ever since then, you know, I've loved this franchise probably more than the Rocky franchise. Oh, nice. The yeah. Rocky franchise are sometimes hard for me to watch those because they're so emotional. Mm. They're so thoughtful. Even, uh, But the Rambo franchise, I, I return to over and over and over again. And it all started with that first movie. And then I remember clearly each of those next films. The, the only regret I have with the Rambo franchise is that there was such a long space of time between three and four. Sure. I just wish he had been turning out a couple of more, that we had a few more Rambos in between those two. That was a long period, and he was doing all those other movies, like, you know, The Specialist and Assassins and all these other kind of... Uh, Get Carter. Like, why do Get Carter? Just do another Rambo. I don't think he fully appreciated that franchise at that during that long dead period in between three and four, and what a lost opportunity that was oh, to make those started. films when he was... Don't give me started. now, right? You know, I, I feel the same way. It's too bad we have to get old Stallion. I get it. You want to be more the Rambo or Rocky. But at the end of the day, now ironically he went back to Because it's kind of like, hey, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's no shame in that. Being known for those two characters, that's not a bad legacy. He was prime age to still do that kind of stuff. and uh, But yeah, I mean, we still got five Rambo films and six or eight, including the Creed films with Rocky, the Rocky character. Nothing to sneeze at. It's you know? fantastic. It's uh, I'll, I'll take what we've got. Rambo 5. He keeps the long hair. Is it a better film? Yes or no? I love Rambo 5. Would it be better? I wish he had the long hair. I'll See, give I have to admit, That's what I'm I saying. Do. I wish he had that. But one of the things I love about Rambo 5 is it's the closest Rambo came to making a Western. It is yeah. Rambo on horseback. When I talk about Rambo 5, I'm only talking about the international cut, the longer cut, yeah. the whole flood sequence at the beginning. The theatrical cut, I don't watch that anymore. That international cut, I think, is fantastic. I love revenge movies. I'm a mm -hmm. big Charles Bronson Death Wish guy. Give me a revenge story, whether it's Jodie Foster and the Brave One or that movie Vigilante with Robert Forrester. If it's about revenge, I, I'm there. Yeah. And Rambo 5 is the ultimate revenge movie. Yeah, Kill Bill, another one. And so Rambo 5 is the closest he came to both a Western and a Bronson movie. Nice. And so I really love it. I put that as number three for my favorite Rambos. Nice. It goes one, I like it. three, and five. Yeah. What's your bottom one? I, I think I got it. My bottom one is four. Me too. I actually, love I'll tell you four. Right now, hot take. It's actually my bottom one. Really? I think it's 
excellent movie. It is, it's it's mm-hmm. a great movie movie. It's not a great Rambo movie, from my take. He has the least amount of agency in that movie. It takes him forever to actually do anything. He fights so long to not get involved. Mm-hmm. Even when they finally start the action going, most of his that mercenary team takes up a lot of the heavy fighting. And most of it's just him at the end blowing people away with that one machine gun. Yes. There's less for him to do in that film. I wish he had a little bit more agency. You're on the same page, Sapatico. I know you haven't heard all my shows on this uh, Rambo podcast, I've, but I brought up a couple times. I've kind of hinted that part four is sort of my least favorite. Again, fun film. It's a Rambo film. But they ended it too quickly, very short, the shortest of all the films. That gun sequence should have been the end of part two or act two, I should say. And then he should have had the surviving mercenaries with himself go into some sort of base camp like we're about to watch on Rambo 3 in this part right here. Some sort of espionage type breaking into a camp, taking out people's stealth style or something, hand-to-hand combat. So that sequence would have been fun in the film, but it shouldn't have been the ending. It was the ending. It was like, that's it? He just is behind a machine gun? I mean, I could have done that, theoretically. Like Anyone could stand behind a machine gun and turn people into a ground beef. It would have been nice to see him use his skills. You know, the trap setting, right. hand-to-hand combat. A little combat. bit more stealth. Yeah. yeah, a little bit more of that. The movie is still awesome. Sure. It looks great. Though All that stuff on the river looks great. I love him as a ferryman. Uh, you know, I love th- that movie. I-, I watch it all the time, but it's not my favorite Rambo. It's, yeah. it's, it's well, I-, I do another podcast, plug it real quick here. It's called The Worst of the Best Podcast. So if you listen to this show and you like the things I do with dear listeners, it's called The Worst of the Best. And that's exactly what that podcast is about is we take lists or uh, franchises. It-, it could be anything. Look at the topics when you Google it. And we pick the worst from the best. So the Rambo franchise, for example, is one of the best franchises ever made. So that's the best part. And then we will break down each film little by little, you know, in one episode. Then we pick independent of each other, myself and my co-host, what we think is the worst. Doesn't mean you hate it. Sometimes it can be that, depending on the list. But because it's something that's good, there has to be something on the bottom. I think just like you said at the very beginning of this episode, just because it's on the bottom doesn't mean you don't like it. It's just you're comparing it to the other things of that thing. That's all. Correct. Well, let's roll into it. This is a big action sequence. So we just left off where Rambo, <laughs> I love it. He's walking off. The, oh, yeah. Did you, yeah, you saw the last episode. Did you see the YouTube version or did you hear the audio version? I'm blocked because I had a question um, for you. Both. Okay. Did you see that white stuff on his back? Did you get an idea of what that might have been? The, I couldn't tell what it was. I thought it was just some kind of digital smudge or something. I couldn't really make out what that was. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I just wanted to get a real time uh, second opinion. Whatever it was is off his back now as he walks away. It looked like scotch tape. If anyone's listening, he knows what was on the back of Rambo's back. Be very curious there. Okay. Or Stallone's back, really. I think it was put there for Stallone, not for the Rambo character. Possibly. He's walking away for the discussion where he told, tells the uh, tour guide guy that, uh, you know, Troutman would do this for me, and he walks away. <laughs> Now we cut back to the Russian camp, because we know Rambo's not going to break in. This is a big sequence here. What's so great about this for me, where this sequence comes in, is that it's such a major transition. We've gone from daytime, massive action sequence, to nighttime, stealth sequence. This is one of the reasons why I love 3. It's constantly refreshing. Now we're in a whole new setting, a whole new time, a whole new style of action. Now we're going quiet. No more explosions for a while. We're going, you know, uh, suspense instead of bombastic action. And that's what this sequence is. This is stealth Rambo. This is, uh, which is one of my favorite Rambos. I wish he was stealthier more often. 
Yeah, great point. Yeah, I think I said one or two episodes ago, same thing that I don't know why this film is maligned as much as it is because this is it's Rambo doing everything stealth, traps, thinking man, like shows you how well he knows mm-hmm. the base, the planning stage, all the things. It's why it's one of the longer ones, too. It's an hour and 40 minute film. Have you decided to talk? No? Very well. Soon you will be my guest down the hall. Of course, poor Chowman. Torture is coming. Now we got Rambo going through. I love he's going through the fields and he's uh, on his stomach and he's crawling. He's looking for mines as he's crawling through this uh, towards the base, which is great. He's got his knife out. He's digging, digging ahead of himself. Life is put to such good use in this entire sequence. He, he's using it for the mines. He's using it to cut fences. He's using it to kill people. He uses the knife like the, it's practically his supporting character in this sequence. Very well said. Yeah, agreed. Hussan, is it Hussan? So he's with them, of course, for this uh, sequence. Uh, he's the only one that volunteered to come, which I thought was kind of odd because they did say in that initial meeting that they're going to have more people joining Rambo to help break trauma. Out. I guess after that, after that battle, it was like um, you know we don't have the people to spare anymore. <laughs> I guess. Sorry, you're right. I forgot about that. Now look uh, at this shot. Look at this shot here. I love this shot. The light and the glint of the light on those trip wires is so beautiful to me. Uh, the lighting in this entire sequence with those spotlights, it's just, uh, I, I admire it so much. This sequence here where he almost trips mm. wire, I remember it vividly seeing it in a the theater and gasping, like, oh, uh, uh, he's about to, uh. so good. Yeah, I very well said about the, the lighting because it shows the audience the wires. So we as an audience get to see the wires that, that they're going under. It'd be, it, I mean, that's a thin wire at night, so it would be almost impossible to see. But the director, who really pulled out all the stops in this movie, this was his first directing job. And you can tell that uh, Peter McDonald, you can tell that he wanted to show off a little bit because this is a good-looking movie. It is a good-looking um, film. Agreed. What I love here is just like you're saying, the stress. Uh, of course, he's about to, to have this grenade go off. Rambo turns around very quickly because he puts his hand on the grenade to stop it from exploding. Because the guy keeps going, it's a very smart move on Rambo's part because he's like, it's easier for him just to stop the grenade from blowing up and then telling him to stop moving. So that was a quick thinking. Again, the, the quick thinking on Rambo's part. Now, I know people don't like the kid. Here he shows up. But you know what? I like the kid. Back when this movie was made, kids were everywhere in action movies. This is not Rambo's fault. We had Short Round in Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. We had all those kids in the Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Chuck Norris had his son in uh, Braddock uh, missing three of uh, the same year as Rambo 3. Oh, wow. There was I didn't this know movie that. Ruskies. Yeah. There was a movie Ruskies about little kids hooking up with a Russian soldier in the Cold War. So kids were everywhere. So this kid is actually one of the better kids. I mean, look at this. He managed to track them to this place, and Rambo didn't even know it. He, like, outsmarted Rambo. The kid's stealth skills are pretty good. That's a good argument. I like it. Look at you coming prepared. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> so let's hear a little bit of the dialogue between the kid and uh, Rambo here as he's following Rambo through the tripwire. So Rambo tells him not to come. Though. Now he's, he's constantly, like, the kid is right. He doesn't want another body on his conscience. Yeah, he doesn't want another co 
on his conscience. I think the kid could have pulled it off if he had believed in him a little bit more. He's stealthy, he's small, he's brave. I, I think he could have done more. Agreed. Good point. He tells the kid, I don't need you dead. That's a fair, that's a, uh, a fair point. I don't need you dead. So he's on the lookout there. So the kid is staying. He's obeying Rambo, at least for mm-hmm. now. He's staying there looking around. Okay, so yeah. So right now a prisoner is being pulled out of a cell. Troutman's uh, seeing this happen. And this guy's just flailing look at that. Look at that canted angle, too. In the prison sequences, you get all these like mm. canted angles to start showing us things are really bad here. The director's showing off a little bit, adding oh, st- visual catch. style to this sequence. Great catch. Again, he's using the knife here. The knife becomes more than just uh, something he wears. He's using it as a tool. A tool, not we just get, a killing tool, yeah. but a tool tool, yeah. It's a multifaceted tool, Absolutely. So the prisoner, I, the actor, I just love watching the sequence there when he because it's obviously a movie, but knowing that the actor who's being pulled by the big Russian soldier, he's just flailing about. I think it's this great physical acting by this side actor doing that, being pulled down the hallway because he's about to be tortured and, and Trauman's kind of seeing what's going to happen to him coming up. That's what would be scary for him. So as tough as you think you are, I don't think anyone wants to be electrocuted. Now, this sequence always reminds me of a James Bond movie. This is Rambo setting charges everywhere. Pierce Brosnan did the same thing at the beginning of GoldenEye. This is like Bond Rambo. He's kind of uh, already planning his exit strategy while he's entering. It's great. Yeah, I love the old detonator. We we talked about this before, about how C4, these explosives, they were a big thing for a while. Of course, this was part of the care package that Rambo received was the detonators. We're about to see the blue light come to use. Of course. In the secret. Yes, of course. It wasn't just a joke. <laughs> no. Yeah, we've seen all the, that's what I love. We're seeing all the kit, the kit and caboodle being used here as uh, Rambo asks for the stuff. So it's being utilized. He's got a little pouch of detonators placing sporadically throughout the camp. It's almost an entirely wordless sequence, you'll notice too. There's no dialogue. This is just visual storytelling. This is like a graphic novel that you're watching. We don't need a lot of this dialogue to tell us what's happening. It's the director using his camera to tell a story. I love that. And then interspersed with Rambo going through the camp, laying out the detonators, being stealth. We're cutting to the scene of this poor prisoner who's about to be tortured for information. And the yelling that the prisoner is receiving is in, uh, I assume, would be Russian. So we as an audience don't hear what's being asked. But we can assume they're just saying, tell us what we need to know or you're going to be hurt. Talk about the filming here, the cinematography. Look at the main Russian bad guy leader sitting in the shadows. The lighting lighting is great. The editing that you were talking about where we cut back and forth from... Rambo entering to inside the prison to the boy waiting outside. I mean, there are four editors on this movie, so you can see the product of their work. This is a very well-edited film. So Rambo just stole a weapon from one of the sleeping soldiers. <laughs> Why not? Okay, so the dog is barking. They've been alerted. Something's going on. So what I like about these soldiers, they're not, you know how some action films, the soldiers are kind of idiots. The soldiers they, here seem to be... These guys are almost get them yeah yeah they're very proactive which i kind of like dogs are barking they got a sense almost that something's going on flare gun was set to light up the camp and what i like too is the flare gun actually only lasted as long as flares do last they don't last very long which was good a good little nod to um, or realistic yeah. oh i love the shot look at the swinging light there it's so 
well done. It's like adds this little motion to that still shot of him looking down. It's beautiful. And then we see these women here. I think this is the first time we realize that there are women in this mm -hmm. prison camp, which adds an extra element of nastiness to the whole Yeah, they're, they're sadistic, they're cruel. They're not just torturing men, but they're torturing women and families are in this prison camp. But why are they prisoners here? This is a Russian military camp. But why are there civilians there? Do we know? Was that ever indicated in the film? I can't recall. I don't think so. I think we're just supposed to think that they'll take whoever. terrible things are. Yeah, they'll take whoever. Maybe they're trying to use them as bargaining chips or to just having fun with them or something. It's it's horrible. It's like just a bad sequence that uh, adding those women here. This tank sequence, I love this part. This is like tank porn to me. It's yeah. like we get all these great shots of the treads of his back, of the things shaking around the camp as the massive tank rolls in. It's really well used in this sequence. And for our listeners, of course, we're talking about when uh, Rambo is underneath the tank. So he uses the tank as a stealth to travel throughout the camp. No one thinks, and no one would think to look under a tank, right? You wouldn't think to look under the tank as it's driving through to see if somebody's being dragged underneath. Was it Indiana Jones? Was it Raiders of the Lost Ark where he was under the tank? Big tank sequence in the first one uh, where there's like fights taking place on it. And yeah. The great stunt work by whoever did the stunt work for Indy in the film. So what I love, of course, about Sly is that he does his stunt work. It's a little bit slower, but that's still him being dragged under the tank. And I think that's great that Sly does that. This so, stuff in the prison camp itself is like horror movie stuff. This is like out of Hostel or one of those Eli Roth movies. It's, it's like horror stuff. Uh-oh, the kid's in the camp. He didn't obey Rambo. He snuck in. Kids never listen. That is frustrating. He doesn't blow it for them. It's pretty good. Yeah, he doesn't ruin it for them. They just shot a prisoner, just cold-blooded killed the prisoner. So it is showcasing the evilness, the, the corruptness. Love that push-in on Rambo as he jumps down that hole. We get, he jumps down almost in slow motion, and without a cut, the camera whooshes into him. It's just a one-shot. It's so great. Yeah, there's been a couple of those zoom-in shots. I noticed that, too, when he was cutting the wire, they zoomed in on it as well. It's a style that we don't see very much anymore of that. Again, it's showing off. It's a director who's like bringing it. He's a camera operator. He knows how to use that camera, and, and you can tell. So Hussan is still going around planting detonators. Is now Rambo is now inside the building, very close to where prisoners are being. Uh, of course, he sees the prisoners being tortured. He's like inside the, the hornet's nest now. This is inside the hive. So the tension is just ramped up. Awesome lighting again from those spotlights that are being shined everywhere. He keeps using them. You get those lens flares. The use of light and shadow in this sequence is really strong. Yeah, it is a really great sequence of events. I mean, of course, we've seen this film many times, but, you know, breaking it down and watching the activity that's just, it's a bustling now. It's kind of over the top, just how busy this base is. You know, that's the movie we mentioned before, just how busy this base is. You've got prisoners and guards and activity and torture it's just what a busy day of torture and everything. it's just it's just fun next we we shot this one guy we're gonna, like do they just torture from eight to four is it 24 7 it's just like a constant rotation of torture and death and you can tell he almost senses something's wrong yeah, it's like, it's a, like pauses. It's a feeling he gets that shows that villain is good like he is a he's attuned to his base it's a disturbance in the force of when Vader feels Kenobi's <laughs> presence. <laughs> Looking at these close-ups, this is the sweatiest Rambo movie of all. Hands yeah. down, there's more sweat in this film than he glistens through most of the movie. What do you think Sly has on his body 
as an actor to make that glistening? Is it some sort of makeup or uh, Vaseline? It, or? Yeah, I think they spray them down with some kind of, yeah, like some kind of Vaseline or something. Some kind of, um, I forget what that stuff's called. They're constantly spritzing them probably. Smashed up against the wall. Just knocks him out. It's like, so that guy got off yeah. easy. He's just knocked out. So he goes up to the, these poor women who, you know, bless their hearts. They, they must be fresh captures because they look pretty well put together. <laughs> and Rambo goes up to them and says, hey, uh, where's the American? Like, oh, that's great. We thought we were to be rescued, but you just want to rescue the white guy. Cool. Thanks, bud. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't let them out. I mean, but he knows he can't afford that right now. They no. run out of there and he, they give it up. Yeah, there's no way they would escape. He gets them out. They're actually safer right now inside the cage than running around. Right. American. Undo, undo. I guess that's over there. Oh, yeah. I love the classic jail cell keys he takes from the guard in the ring with the big, you know, the big yeah. ring with these old school cell <laughs> it's keys. It's a comic book. Yeah. It's yeah. like a cartoon ring. So he's got the keys. Now, these close ups through the door are some of my favorite shots where we just get their eyes. It's like right out of a Sergio Leone Western or something where he would focus on those close ups of the eyes. Trauma can't believe it. He probably can't believe it, but believe it at the same time. John, how the hell did you get in here? Did you move? You're damn right I can't. Let's go. John, behind you! So we get, it's the boy that he sees. Okay. Go! What happened for our listeners there? Of course, the boy comes down the stairs. He got there with John. You got to give him credit, like you said. He got there with John to the cell. But as the guy got the knife in his throat, his trigger finger still went off. Now you have gunfire going off in the prison cells. No more stealth. It's over. It's done. Right. Rambo's got his machine gun out. He's blowing away guards. And we just got almost got Troutman out, but it's been it's been thwarted, as they say. Let's see how this plays out. And we'll just, we get to see Rambo full action mode. This is the first time he's shot off a machine gun in this film. So we're almost an hour right. into the film other than the one that shot down the helicopter but i mean like like <laughs> so it's a great move yeah there's so many and look at how canted that angle is yeah. that's like practically on its side so we're getting rambo unleashed again which of course as an audience we were halfway through the film just over halfway the film we finally get to see rambo explosion the detonations are going off chaos is ensuing lights are flickering C4 is going off. Rambo knows where they are. Of course, the Russian soldiers don't. And he's just going through and laying waste to everybody. Classic endless ammo sequence. <laughs> it's so much fun. The stunt yeah, work is the great. The, the combination of stunt work, the editing, there's a lot of quick cuts here. This never feels to me like that kind of overcut Michael Bay style stuff that we get right. now and then where you can't tell what the hell's happening. Because they've set up the geography pretty well, and because the shots are so strong, you can tell what's happening mostly for well like yeah. where people are in the frame. So it's this is like old school. Oh, and Hamid getting shot in the leg, the little boy getting shot in the leg, that's another unusual moment. Kids in these movies don't usually get injured this way. I thought that was kind of ballsy. That yeah, they, uh, let's watch that they, again. That, I totally agree. Yeah, so the kid gets shot in the leg for our listeners, and then... There's this another stunt where Sly slash Rambo escapes an explosion, and then he gets that metal shard or wood shard through his side. We'll so we'll watch that play out here. 
Yeah, seeing a boy get shot in a film is pretty... Yeah, you don't see that very often. Mm-hmm. So he's got like a metal shard. Is that metal or wood that went through his side? I can't quite... Uh, I don't know. I think he snaps off the end of it, so maybe it is wood. Now, if he snapped it off, that's okay. For our dear listeners, if you ever have something implanted in you, do not pull it out. Do not pull mm. it out, because it's actually a plug for your bleeding, believe it or not. Good to know. But just like you said, right here, with the explosions and the editing, it's fantastic. Rambles carrying the boy out, jumped over a little slow fire. Motion. Slow motion. Yeah, we've got some slow-mo. We've got uh, some lens flares, more of these canted angles. Look at how the ground is at a slant there. Holes are popping. Stunt work is great. This non-CGI, real I, stunts. That's the other thing. This real isn't flames. the Expendables where there's a bunch of you know CGI explosions. This is the real stuff. I love it. Real squibs sparks and explosions and i never noticed the canted angle before and so thanks for pointing that out now I'm really constantly yeah. yeah gives it that batman feel that comic book feel for sure rambo loves the sewers he did it in the mine shaft sewers in the in the first film and he's in the sewers again yeah we got tunnels in there with the rats and things that's one of the reasons i love this movie maybe more than four and everything because he gets injured he does the tunnel stuff does he even get injured in four i, I don't even know if he has like a serious <sighs> injury and i feel like he always needs a really serious injury five he gets the crap beat out of him yeah good reminder before does he get seriously injured that's a good call yeah. It looks a little banged up at the end, but not in that same kind of like, I have to treat my own wound. So we have, we got the blue light. So they're the, we're, we're led to believe they're in the complete dark area, even though there's lighting for the filming. You know, they have to, we have to be able to see what's going on. But Brown has got the blue light out to investigate the boy's uh, health, you know, to see how he's doing. I want to say, too, when uh, Sly slash Rambo was running with the boy, we're talking about like real stunts. It was really the boy that he was holding. There's no like dummy. Uh, kid yeah. or anything it was the, it was the kid and i like that that this kid get to you know gets to be slung over sly's shoulder and run through the fires and there is an awful lot of water coming down through the sewer i'm not sure if there'd be that much water in the desert like where they are like oh, where is point. all this coming from um but at this point who even notices that you're just no. kind of caught up in a sewer i didn't know they brought up water. yeah good point yeah, there's a lot of i think it's because we need him jumping out of water <laughs> sure. because we've had that before it's it's one of his signature moves it's such a signature move chuck norris steals it in one of his missing in action movies where he has to jump out of water they did fire a lot of the bullets into the water my understanding with that is bolts do get slowed down quite considerably when they hit the water i think i've seen that on uh, what do you call it a mythbusters or whatever I think bolts are slowed down quite a bit when they hit water. I could be wrong, but so it is possible that he, if he's cl- if he's right up against the back of the uh, the dirt or whatever underneath it, the bolts wouldn't have hit him. So it's a, it's fair that he mm-hmm. could have come out and did that. He when he jumps out of the water, they, his ability to see right away when he jump out of water, like it's just kind of funny. Hey, you yeah. just go with it. Yeah, it's pretty good. So the Russian leader is like you know telling everyone get after them immediately. So what's happened here? This is this again very interesting in. In the good guy didn't win this round. Troutman is not free. The boy got injured. One of the soldiers mm. that came with Hussan and brought the horses for the escape just got shot and killed. There's real. Yeah, it was a big failure. It is a failure uh, of a mission. He's not an infallible hero. He has to work for these victories. So great shot here. Of course, he's got an RPG. He explodes a truck that comes out of the base to chase after him. Buys him a little bit of time. But of course, the base is on high alert. Gallops away on the horse. It's still under explosions. We're seeing the Russian soldiers try to fix things and take care of things. We see more of this Russian uh, bared type dude moving the truck. And that pays for the failure. He gets his ass kicked here. 
So right now the audience is watching this going like, oof, what the hell's happening? Like he didn't get him. Failure of a mission, as they say, and uh, the boy's injured. Troutman's still caught, and just like I said, now Troutman will pay for Rambo's actions. And let's uh, see this. Who is this terrorist? What makes you so valuable to him? This bastard tried to destroy me tonight, but he failed. At sunrise, I will hunt him down and have his skin hanging on the wall. You don't have to hunt him. What? He'll find you. Are you insane? One man against train commandos. Who do you think this man is? God. Oh God, what have mercy. <laughs> the lines are so awesome. It's fantastic. God would have mercy. He won't. It's almost like this failure had to happen just so we could have that line. Oh, man. Uh, they're in the cave, and uh, let's just hear the conversation about happening here. So what's happened here, folks, is they're in the cave. They're treating the boy's leg injury. It looks like he'll be fine. They're hidden. It's all right. There's nobody there. All right. This will hold a while. What's the fastest way out of here? Northwest. There is trail between mountains, about three kilometers from here. Okay. The trail is very difficult. Now you take the boy and go. I want to stay. You can't. You cannot go Talk back there. Good. We must all go to Pakistan. No, I gotta go back. I know he's your friend, but you cannot do this. You both will die. For what? Come with us. Just do what I say. If you can. Let's go. Come on. He took one round of ammunition out. Of course, the boy and Hussan are leaving. They're parting ways. He took out one round. Now, when you first time watch this, of course, you would have no idea. Why is Rambo just taking out one bullet? It doesn't make sense. What's in store here? It's kind of a smart writing to have this. Mm-hmm. It takes a repeat viewing because some people might forget why does he have the one bullet. So it's clever little writing there. The boy asks, will I see you again? I see you again. Sure, that's probably fair. Sure. <laughs> that's pretty moving when he gives him. So yeah, for our listeners, so he's now handed over Cole's necklace to the boy because he asked earlier, "What is this?" It brings him luck, and uh, so Cole's kid's necklace performance is pretty good. Yeah, the kid. You're right. The kid's performance is not bad. You're right. One co-host did crap all over the kid. He's he's a part of the network. Else, he's kind of an honorary guy. He likes to fight. Mm. <laughs> he's a bearable kid. I've seen a much worse, uh, worse. Definitely, child he's not precocious. He's you know he gives a good performance. This is, oh. So this is the repairing the wound sequence. I'll tell you one thing about this sequence. Um, I went to a Sylvester Stallone auction a couple of years ago. Oh, yes. I want to hear about this. We don't yes. have to go over that whole thing if you don't want. Oh, I um, want to. But w- the reason I, w- I bring it up is at the auction, one of the items they had, and I didn't send you a photo of it. I can it, later on. Please. Is they had model that they took of S- Sly's side 
for the wound oh. that they used for special effects purposes to, um, you know, do the explosion when he puts the gunpowder in there. And they somebody turned it into a sculpture. They took the actual cast of his side and turned it into a sculpture and auctioned it off. And it's one of the weirdest looking pieces of art I've ever seen. It's just a sly wound. Uh, it's, it's really cool. I don't know how much it sold for, but that is hilarious. This, I love him. Him treating his wounds. It's not a Rambo movie unless he's doing self surgery. I, I think he he always has to stitch himself up. Yeah, this is a great effect. I remember, of course, as a kid, seeing this in the theaters. I was, like I said before, in one of my episodes. My my mother took us because we were too young to see this uh, without an adult, and seeing the sequence of him putting. The gunpowder into his wound, and now we're like, oh, he's going to seal himself. And we can see that it was a through and through object. So you're right; he kept this right. He did snap it off because he pushed through the rest of the. Uh, yeah. And now he's going to light the gunpowder through his wound. It's a great effect. You're like you're talking great about great effect where the fire goes through. I love this sequence, and it's so uh, well it's, done. Like this is acting. He's not. I know people think sometimes this isn't acting, but this he's acting. That effect, the fire effect on both sides. No CGI again. They built some kind of rig for his body. It's really cool. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, they built up his side. The camera angle is hiding some of positioning there. When I send you the photo of the cast that they t made, you'll see how much of it was phony. Did they put that on his body? Is that what it is? They put that I on? I think they did, yeah. They cast it in latex or whatever they do. Then they attached it to him. It had some kind of fire effect. That's heavy to add fire to your makeup effect. It's pretty cool. It had to be hard to pull off because they only show it for a well, brief Well, that's glimpse. funny. We, we paused it right here, and they could have held it longer. I'm looking at it right now. It's a great... They could have made that shot longer. I don't see quite where the makeup ends and the skin begins. So they did a great job there. If they left it running any longer, mm. you might start seeing the seams or something. Sure. So it's, it almost had to be that quick. Fantastic. So that sequence, uh, though long, of course, people who've seen this movie seen it a hundred times. They know what we're talking about. I'm glad I had you for this one, uh, Matthew, because you were very knowledgeable on the camera angles and behind the scenes stuff. And some of your notes there were, were amazing. Thank you so much for, for being an incredible insight on, on this, on this episode. And I'll ask you, how did you do? How did you, well, not how did you do, but how did you have fun? Uh, I hope on this episode. Terrific. Yeah, I haven't done one of these shows where you actually watch something while it's happening. Uh, my podcasts are all just audio. There's no video component to them at all. So that was a little, I was a little hesitant about that. But no, this was this was a lot of fun. It's fun almost watching a show with somebody and then commenting on the on what you're seeing. It's it's pretty good. Well, good. I think it's one. I I don't know how many of this do like I do. I'm not saying I'm an innovator or anything, but I don't know very many. I've listened to a lot of movie podcasts, and I don't know of how many do it this way. So I tried to bring something a little bit different, unique to the table with a movie podcast. So thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on. Uh, you were a wonderful guest, truly, for you to take the invite. And I'm I'm just a small time podcaster for you to take time out of your uh, out of your schedule on a Sunday and and speak Rambo. <laughs> it's it's pretty fun that we get to do this in this world. It's kind of cool that the world's a little bit smaller where we can talk to strangers and uh, but come together on a ramble film who would have thought when this film came out in in 88 that we'd be talking about it online in 2023 so it's hard to believe it is hard to believe boys <laughs> 35 years this came out oh boy is it yeah i think it's has an anniversary here Oof. five more years i can write a 40 year for variety about a 40 year look back at rambo 3 that's crazy man that is insane. Well, I'll be reading it for sure. So again, plug your projects and where people uh, can find you. 
Uh, How the West Was Cast, that's the Western podcast. If you love Westerns, we, we don't only talk about Westerns. Each episode is about a Western, but a lot of other films come up random subjects, other kinds of things. It's not just for Western fans. I I like people to know that. So that's the one I would listen to. And then you can find my articles for Variety if you just go to MatthewChernov.com. That's all my list of articles there. I have a Tulsa King article coming out on Monday about the production design of that show. And then next week after that, I have an article coming out again on Tulsa King about the costume design. I talked to the costume designer who talked to me all about dressing Sly. Whenever she gets one of his outfits, a suit for Tulsa King, this was something I didn't know, was that she always has to get two sizes for him because she says he's so large on top and so small on the bottom when she buys suits for him for Tulsa King she has to buy an extra large and a medium so he wears the extra large jacket and and top and a medium on the bottom because she said he has a tiny little waist that was her Uh, quote (laughs) that is hilarious that's a great insight based a lot of his looks yeah she based a lot of his looks on John Gotti Okay. Uh, well, you can read the read the article. It'll be on no, Variety. That's great in a tease. Weeks. I, I appreciate the insight. And I forgot to say before you go, talk about. I want like if you have time, I want to hear about your auctions. So explain the auction. I'll show the pictures with this episode. So if you want to, I'd like to hear some of that. In 2021, in um, Beverly Hills, I live in Los Angeles, and in Beverly Hills, they were having a massive auction for the property and career, the life and property of uh, Sylvester Stallone. He right. put up a lot of his memorabilia. Right. This was okay. Sly doing it. Um, it wasn't people who own stuff putting it up for auction. It was Sly himself put up, sold a lot of stuff. I don't know what that was all about, why he needed that to do yeah, that. But I remember that. I don't I don't know why he wouldn't just get the stuff to his kids. Maybe his daughters don't care. I, I don't know. It, it is odd that he would sell the stuff. Or maybe you could argue he wants to give it to the fans. There's one way of looking at it, to give it to people outside yeah. of himself. So for a price. So but, what, yeah. what was cool is at this place, Julian's Auctions in Beverly Hills, I went there and all the stuff was on display in glass cases and some of it not even in glass cases some of it is just like you're two feet away from rocky's gloves or rambo's poncho from first blood or his bow and arrow from part two you can breathe on those items they're right in front of you the original props it, it took me aback to see those iconic costume items weapons scripts memorabilia, all kinds of stuff like that. Just have it right in front of you and to see that you could actually bid on it. The stuff sold like crazy. The prices that they got for some of this stuff is amazing. I wrote down some of them. Rambo's knife from First Blood, the actual like prop knife that he uses in the original movie, they were originally asking between 10,000 and 20,000. That was the starting bid. Sold for $128,000. Wow. $128,000 for that one knife. Uh, if you're the guy that, that bought the knife, and I'm assuming it's a guy, let's just be honest. If you're the guy that bought the knife, can you send me a message? I want to interview I want to interview the insane fan that bought that, if you don't mind. That'd be I hilarious. sent you a photo of that knife. So yes, you, you yeah. So when we talk about each other, I'll put the photos up for YouTube. But yeah, what's, uh, what else? There was also um, his poncho, you know, that, that thing he wears in First Blood, that whatever that is, like burlap sack he wears. Now they found um, that to- on site. That was oh, did they? They the, yes. it. Well, when I went to the auction house, they had it on a mannequin. It was draped over one, the actual poncho, and that sold for $76,000. It's crazy. <laughs> That's what I mean. This is crazy, Matthew. So I talked about it on the first season when we covered First Blood, but that burlap thingamajig or whatever was found on site. 
they actually just literally pulled it off the ground and used it for the film. So that thing that was tossed by some construction worker or whatever back in the 80s ends up selling for $75,000. What a journey for that piece of material. That's hilarious. <laughs> so the um, his bow and arrow from uh, First Blood Part 2 sold for, it was a, a bargain for $51,000. Oh, okay. His headband from First Blood Part 2, the red headband that they had on a mannequin, it was so cool to see the headband, uh, that sold for $22,000. A piece of cloth. A piece of cloth. His short blade machete that he makes in Last Blood, you know, the the sort of the one he's building at the at, right. at the start of the movie, that one was probably one of the least expensive items. It sold for $19,000. <laughs> The most expensive item of the entire auction, and it wasn't just Rambo, it was every Sly film. It was all kinds of stuff. But the, the one that sold them, that got the most money, was understandably Stallone's handwritten Rocky script pages, because he writes by hand. And so he those sold, sold. Don't tell me the price just yet. Don't tell me. So, how many pages? I'm not sure because it was bound. You could see a co- the top page, but I don't know if it was the entire script was that's still lingering around. I mean, it's a long time to keep. It okay, sold for five hundred. Close, uh, four thirty-seven, okay, four hundred thirty-seven thousand wow. dollars for the script pages. My favorite item to see it, and <laughs> it was the funniest one, was Rocky's mouth guard, <laughs> the original Rocky, the, the the little thing he puts on his teeth when he fights Apollo. Yeah, that sold for six grand. <laughs> oh, gross! <laughs> All right. Oh man, that's pretty cr- Yeah, boy. I I assume it just went to slice pockets. I don't think it was for a charity. Am I wrong? <laughs> I didn't see any mention of charity. No. <laughs> if you go if you go under um search for Julian's auctions, they auction a celebrity movie items and things like that. Okay. They have a, a brick and mortar store in Beverly Hills. They have a nice online site, Julian's Auctions. You search Julian's Auctions in Stallone, you can see the what they got for every item, how much it sold and hey. what was there. It's hundreds and hundreds of items it's wonderful all right well that's amazing thank you so much again on the uh, on the youtube version so if you people are just listening to the audio just check out it's a long road the ramble series podcast on youtube to see the pictures that matthew's talking about because those will be put there at the very least you can see the photos that people spent tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars on so matthew you were kind enough to send those photos so thank you so much and more importantly you were kind enough to come on the show thanks for taking time of your day but unfortunately matthew i'm sorry to say the episode is over Nothing is over. Nothing. Just don't turn it off.